In early December of last year, Richard Houston, a police officer in Mesquite, Texas, was shot and killed in the line of duty. And he was responding at the time to an argument between a husband and a wife near a local grocery store when things turned deadly. Then the following week, at the memorial service, his 18-year-old daughter, Shelby, spoke on behalf of the family. Uh, it's an eight-minute clip on YouTube if you want to watch it, uh, but you may want to bring a box of Kleenex when you do. And as, as Shelby, the daughter, spoke powerfully through her tears, she spoke about her daddy. She spoke about what it was like to experience her father from her eyes. She talked about her dad in his PJ pants with his books and being sarcastic, being goofy, supporting the other kids in the family. But even more powerfully, she spoke of his love for Jesus. And then, in what probably made the clip go viral, because it did go viral, Shelby spoke about her feelings regarding the man who shot her father. And here's what she said. She said, I remember having conversations with my dad about him losing friends and officers in the line of duty. I've heard all the stories you can think of, but I always had such a hard time with how the suspect is dealt with. Not that I didn't think there should be justice served, but my heart always ached for those who don't know Jesus and their actions being a reflection of that. She continued, I was always told that I would feel differently if it happened to me. But as it happened to my own father, I think I still feel the same. All I can do is find myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. My prayer is that someday down the road I get to spend some time with the man who shot my father, not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, but to simply tell him about Jesus. And though her remarks were filled with genuine grief and tears and sorrow about the loss of what it meant for her and for her family to lose their dad. The heart of her 18-year-old speech was about forgiveness and grace. It stood out as countercultural in a world that wants to strike back but to speak of, I want to spend time with him, not to scream at him or yell at him, but I want to tell him about Jesus. It's remarkable. And the challenges that we face, they may be on a different size or scale, but whenever relationships are broken, whenever conflict of any form happens, there's always those hurdles that you have to get over. It's, it's one thing to talk about forgiveness, like in the abstract, or reconciliation, kind of in the realm of theory. It's quite another thing to pursue forgiveness or reconciliation when there's a name and a face. Because usually with the name and with the face, the more challenging it becomes because you're pushing past big picture ideas and now you're getting into hurts, real hurts, right? Real pain, real loss, real issues, real people. 
So why don't you open your Bibles this afternoon to the book of Philemon. Week three in Philemon, this tiny little letter from the Apostle Paul tucked near the end of the New Testament. And tonight we get a chance to look at really the, the kind of the heart, the core, the crux of this conflict that is at the heart of the letter. So those that have been with us the past two weeks may remember Philemon is one of the Apostle Paul's shortest letters, 25 verses, 355 words, and fundamentally this book that was written by Paul is his appeal of love to Philemon to receive back to his household a man by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave in his house who went free. And he came into contact with the Apostle Paul as he escaped. And as he came into contact with Paul, he then came to faith in Jesus. So there's this huge situation unfolding that involves Philemon and Onesimus and Paul. And now Paul writes this letter sends the letter back to Philemon, to Philemon, to Aphia, to Archippus, to the church that meets in his house. Paul sends back the letter. He sends back Onesimus. And without commanding him in a heavy-hearted way, he makes this appeal for Philemon to receive him back, no longer as a slave, but as a brother. That's the request. Last week, we talked about kingdom imagination, and I believe that Paul had big, massive kingdom imagination to even conceive of that request, to even write this letter. We talked last week about the shift from uselessness to usefulness, from bondservant to being brothers, the shift from a while to forever. And again, I'm a firm believer in stoking the flame of kingdom imagination. But, but honestly, kingdom imagination isn't enough because at the end of the day, you can have kingdom imagination and still run into these walls. <laughs> we still can run into the hurdle and trip over it because when you begin to press it down from the realm of ideas and theory into people and situations and real life and real wounds and real hurts, then you begin to get into the nitty-gritty Reconciliation isn't simple. Forgiveness isn't easy. Resolution isn't a walk in the park. Often there's two reasons why. Next slide. Oftentimes, situations don't get resolved because of the distance and the debt. The distance and the debt. When we are wronged, it's very easy and natural to our sinful humanness for distance to occur. And when someone is wronged, a conflict occurs, situation unfolds, there's also debt of some sort. That's what makes this thing so hard. And unless you begin to deal with the distance and the debt, oftentimes not much ground will be made. So how in the world is a person supposed to deal with the separation of distance and the debt that is owed? Philemon gives us some ideas. The book of Philemon. Paul in Philemon gives us some ideas. So here's, let's take a look at verse 17 through 20 tonight. So in verse 17, this is after Paul makes his appeal. 
uh, verse 16, he's, he, he appeals to Philemon to receive back Onesimus. Verse 16, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother. And then here's his next move. Here's where Paul goes next as he talks to Philemon. And it's dripping with the good news of the gospel. Verse 17. Paul writes and says, so if, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay to say nothing of you or owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Let's talk first about the distance, then we'll talk about the debt. The distance. The distance needs someone to stand in the gap. And I really think it's helpful to watch and see what Paul does here as he begins to engage Philemon, watching him closely. Again, as he steps into this situation, he sees an estranged relationship with Onesimus on one side and Philemon on the other. And Paul, in his love for both, is willing to step in between. He's willing to step into the gap between them. And he finds a way, in truth and love, to really identify with both. I mentioned this earlier, I think the first week. One of the concepts that Paul keeps hammering on for Philemon is the idea of fellowship or partnership, more literally. I think we have the next slide here. Yeah, back in verse 6, he, he opens his letter by praying for Philemon. He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And that word here, the, the sharing of your faith, it's the, it's the Greek word koinonia. Literally, it means partnership, fellowship. So as he begins the prayer, he begins the letter, he hasn't even tipped his hand yet or made a request yet. And he says, on my opening prayers, I pray that, that the, the partnership of your faith would, would flourish, would become effective, full knowledge of every good thing for the sake of Christ. I'm going to pray for your partnership. I'm going to pray for your fellowship that it is in full. And then now, verse 17, Paul circles back to this idea, and he says, so if you consider me your partner, I'm going to make this request. So standing in the gap for Philemon looks like this. He looks at Philemon, and he says, partner. He extends his hand to Philemon and says, I've prayed for your partnership, and if you count me a partner... He calls him a brother. He, he talks about the joy that he has derived from him. He says, but you have comforted so many people. You're my partner. You're my brother. So are we partners? And he holds out the hand of partnership to Philemon. Honors him. Blesses him. And counts on partnership to be something that he can hold on to. But as he holds out his hand of partnership to Philemon, it's not at the expense of Onesimus. Remember how Paul has talked about Onesimus so far in the letter. Next slide here. Verse 10, he talks about Onesimus and calls him his child. 
And that's not because Paul had some fling and it's not that. It's his child in his imprisonment, meaning, again, he is the father of his faith. He's the one who led him to Jesus. And so he calls Onesimus, he's my child, he's my son in the faith. And there's a very fatherly tone toward Onesimus. Verse 11, he says, Onesimus is useful. That's his name. It means useful. He's like, he actually, by God's grace, is living up to his name. He's useful to you and to me. You thought he was useless. He's not useless. He's very useful. And then in verse 12, he says, and as I send Onesimus to you, I'm not just sending you a stranger or a random burden to you. It's like I'm sending my very heart. And the word that he uses there is splachnon, which means guts or bowels. It was the seed of the emotions for them. That's why we translate it heart. He's my very, my very guts. My very heart. So this is really interesting how Paul does this. He turns to Philemon in the letter and says, I'm praying for your partnership, and if you count me a partner. And then he says, and here's Onesimus. He's my son. It's like I'm sending my very heart to you. It's like me, sending myself. He's useful. And so here's the letter. He's got a hand to both. And then in verse 17, he brings it together. He says, so if you consider me your partner, and he brings his hands together. He says, receive him as though you were receiving me. Receive him as you would receive me. There's identification. There's in, sense, in a sense, like a, almost a substitution happening. And there's a relational bridge of the great divide taking what Paul has in common with both and he uses it to overcome a really horrific, hard, difficult, challenging conflict and situation. And they ask us, would you, do, would you receive him as you receive me? What's Paul doing here? Paul is reenacting the ministry of Jesus. I don't know how you could read Philemon 17 without seeing the fingerprints of Jesus. Paul is doing what Jesus has done for him and what Jesus has done for us. 2 Corinthians 5.18 All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That idea is, is all over Philemon. Or Hebrews 10, 
Verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This really is the heart of the gospel that Jesus, fully God, again, if you want to picture it this way, with a hand to the Father in his holiness, in his sinlessness, and Jesus, fully human, with a hand to humanity, covers the distance in himself. And Jesus now says to the Father through the cross and his resurrection and ascension, this is by his finished work, he says to the Father, receive him, receive her, receive them as you would receive me. That is how we come boldly before the throne of grace with confidence. That's the new and living way that Jesus has opened, that the things that we could not do, the way we could not experience the Father, has now, a new way has been opened through his death, through his sacrifice, and there's been a joining through the distance, the gap, the divide of humanity and the Father. In a, in a very creative way here. Now, Paul is applying the ministry and model of Jesus to his two friends. And he puts himself in the gap, as Jesus has done for him. But it's not just the distance, it's also, it's also the debt. The debt needs someone to pay what is owed. The distance needs someone to stand in the gap. The debt needs someone to pay what is owed. In verse 18, we figure out that something's happened between Philemon and Onesimus. And we're not fully sure what it is. There's, there's a lot of reading between the lines. In his commentary on Philemon, uh, one scholar, Scott McKnight, he explores some of the possibilities. Like, what, what was the wrong done here? I'll just list out five real quick. The first is, well, maybe, maybe Onesimus did steal something from Philemon to finance his travel to get away. So maybe he stole some money. Maybe he stole some property. Maybe he stole some livestock and sold it to pay for his way. It's a possibility. Another option is, is the wrong, is the fact that he abandoned his post. He left, and that left Philemon then stuck with lost labor. Also, another option is that prior to running away, that maybe Onesimus had done something costly. He knew he was going to be punished, and so he ran away in fear of punishment. Again, some piece it together that way. Some say maybe he did something wrong that was costly, and so that's why he went to Paul. He's like, I can't deal with this. If I can get to Paul, maybe Paul will help make this right. Again, that's a possibility that Paul could be the mediator. Or number five, the idea that Onesimus was maybe in slavery for a debt that he owed. And so by abandoning his contract or work, his debt uh, and slave arrangement was messed with. What exactly happened to Philemon? What exactly did Onesimus do? Again, none of us know. And yet we know, I mean, maybe Paul didn't even fully know. Maybe he's guessing and putting some hypotheticals. Maybe he's speculating. But he does address some wrongdoing here. 
And there's a possibility that there is something owed to Philemon. And so Paul starts talking about the reality of debt, financial debt. Anyone here have debt? Let's just shout out how much you owe on your credit cards and your... No. No, please. (laughs) But I don't think that we need some hypothetical situation to understand the concept and reality of debt. The the U.S. national debt is $29 trillion. There's a website you can go to and watch it. I went there this week and just saw it like... I had to turn close the window because it was making me stressed. Uh, Consumer debt, the average American has $5,300 in credit card debt, $38,000 in student loans, $16,000 in personal loans, and $19,000 in auto loans. Like, if anyone wants to talk about debt, Americans understand that concept pretty well. My guess is that Onesimus didn't owe that much. But it lingered. So what does Paul do? Again, he's like, I'm trying, I'm trying to reach out with a hand, <laughs> a hand to Philemon, a hand to Onesimus, and I'm trying to call on my partnership and offer my love and say, receive him as me. And then he's like, but there's this debt that is owed. What do I do with the debt that is owed? Here's where he goes, verse 18. He says to Philemon, if he has wronged you at all, or if he owes you anything, Charge that to my account. And then Paul does this in some of his letters. Because Paul didn't physically write most of his letters. He had an amanuensis, a scribe. Like he would dictate and someone would write it down. But then there are certain parts in some of his letters. He's like, no, no, no. Like this is me. I'm writing it in my own handwriting. I'm writing this. This is me writing here. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even yourself. Paul doesn't deny the wrongdoing. He doesn't make up excuses. He doesn't try and dodge the issue. He doesn't pretend that nothing happened, but rather he steps into it again. Here's Paul's offer. Charge it to my account. I'm paying for it. Charge it to me. Charge it to my account. Again, he does get into this, like, (laughs) yeah. If we really want to talk about debt, if we really want to talk about how much who owes who, like, you owe me your life and salvation. But again, we're not going to talk about that. If there's anything else that he owes you, I'm paying for it. Charge it. Put it on my account. I'm good for it. Where, he, where had he heard that before? Jesus. Again, I think the fingerprints of Jesus are all over this. Paul, again, Philemon, the church that meets in his house, is in Colossae. Colossians 2, he says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
as Paul gives language and puts words to what God in Christ has done for us, he has no problem talking about debt language here, accounting language here. And yes, there are other facets of what happens on the cross. This is one of them, though. He says there's this record of debt that you owe, that I owe. And this is what Jesus does as he's offered his very life, as he was nailed to the tree. He canceled the record of debt that you owed. On the cross, the great reckoning, the great accounting of our sin has been done. To use other biblical verses, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And on the cross, some of Jesus' last words were, it is finished. It is finished. Tetelestai, accounting words, paid in full. Stamp on it. Right on the receipt, paid in full. The debt you owed, paid. Paul says, see, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Jesus says, I write this with my own blood. Paid. Forgiven. You and I have turned our back on the God of the universe, the God who made us, who loves us, who invites us to know him deeply, and we have all chosen sin, independence, the way of rebellion, the way of self, the way of selfish independence, and it comes at great cost. Our trespasses, our failure to do what we ought to do, our doing of, we ought, of what we ought not do, the legal demands, the record of our debt stands over the head of every human being. And yet Jesus has said through his word and through his life, charge that to my account. Every sin... As you you have repented and placed faith in Jesus, every sin Jesus says to the Father, charge that to my account. Charge that to my account. Charge that to my account. Every sin, every thought, every word, every deed, every sin of omission and commission, Jesus says, over your sin, paid in full. Jesus' blood speaks a better word over those who turn to him in faith to those who trust and believe in him. This is part of his intercession for us every day that Jesus speaks to the Father. Charge that one too. And that one, and that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. Charge it to my account. Charge it to my account. Praise God. If you've ever lived in debt, The release of debt is beautiful. The weight, the pressure that it brings. Jesus says, charge it to my account. Friends, do you see the beauty of this faith? Do you see the beauty of the ministry of Jesus? Do you see what's our, this is our foundation. This is our only hope and our only plea that that which we could not do for ourselves, God has done for us through his perfect son. As the prophet Jeremiah writes, Jeremiah 31, 34, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Or 
Micah 7:19 that says he will again have compassion on us and he will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Not only does Jesus stand in the gap of the distance, but he also pays for the debt that we owe. And Paul takes all of that and he reenacts it. And this is not him having a Messiah complex. This is not trying to say that he is Jesus. He's not Jesus. But as a part of the body of Jesus, he reenacts the ministry of Jesus. And Paul believes that not only has Jesus done this for us, but he invites us to participate in doing it with him too for others. Professor N.T. Wright says, Paul is reconciling master and slave by taking on himself the role of Christ. God is in Paul reconciling Philemon and Onesimus. This is the Christ-shaped ministry of which Paul wrote in Colossians 1.24. Paul is taking his theology of the cross and he's embodying it in real time, in real relationship. Paul has experienced Jesus bridging the distance, and he has experienced Jesus paying the price. And so now in the power of the Holy Spirit, he steps in and does it too. And he's saying to Philemon and Onesimus, I choose to stand in the gap, and I choose to charge it to my account. So, what in the world are we supposed to do with that? I'll be candid, uh, moving to the realm of application of Philemon is tricky. As it, it carries a lot of potential. <laughs> there's a lot of potential for beauty to be applied, and there's also some potential for harm. Because I'm sure someone could hear a sermon like this, and without a measure of any spiritual maturity or emotional intelligence feel like then they have to be the self-proclaimed reconciler of all things. And there's potential for triangulation and manipulation where any wrong that you see, you step in and be like, charge it to my account. Forget about it. It's not a big deal. Or you could begin to have a sense where you have to stick your nose in everybody's conflict and try and grab hands of everybody. unhealthy ways of responding to a passage like this. So I see how a letter like this or a sermon like this uh, could set someone up to try and fix everything and have a lack of empathy over losses and problems. So I'm not advocating for that. But there's a measure of wisdom needed here. However, I think there is some beautiful things here for us to consider. I come back to Jesus' words in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5. Because Jesus did declare, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So uh, I'm going to offer, I don't have slides for these three things, but I'm going to offer you, going from the macro to the micro, maybe a couple things that we could take by way of some concrete application here. First of all, I hope that 
um, that you may step away from this section of Philemon marveling at the person and ministry of Jesus yet again. Because hopefully as you hear Philemon, as you hear Paul's words in Philemon, you hear the echo of Jesus' beautiful work for us. The way that he, in the incarnation, by means of identification with humanity, bridges the distance of the divide between God and man. And the way that through his sacrificial death, he pays the price of all of our sin. The way that he so perfectly pays it all and offers free reconciliation, so costly with his own life and so beautiful. May it leave us again marveling at Jesus. Jesus He really is the true and better Paul in the Philemon story. There's stuff in here that should draw our attention to him and let him be the one who is exalted above everything in this story. But then kind of moving down from the macro into some of the micro, maybe it's also important for us to name the distances and the debts that you experience. Because sometimes in our conflict, and again, I'll name it, I have grown up in a way that is conflict-averse. I'd rather not do conflict, which isn't healthy. And God's doing work in me. But sometimes in our conflicts, we never slow down enough to actually figure out and understand what's happening, what happened, what transpired. What is the distance that's happened? What, what is the debt that is owed? And we're like, yeah, that's just messed up. Okay, we, we know that, but like, why? What's underneath that? What's happening here? And before an issue can be healed and reconciled, it takes some time to process through the distances and the debts. Why does that hurt? Why have you been humiliated there? Is there some shame? Wounds? Hurts? It can't be rushed. It takes time. It takes work. So maybe one of the, the, the ways of stepping practically out of Philemon is to take some time to take stock of the relationships and the brokennesses and the conflicts and what are the distances, what are the debts. To be able to name them is a step along the way. And then I would also encourage us, I think one of the things that I can take from Paul's example in Philemon and apply to all of us is this invitation of reenacting the ministry of Jesus. And some of that will be in conflicts. Some of that will be to take hands of those who are estranged and bring together. Where possible, it is to say, charge that to my account. But I think there are other pieces of the ministry of Jesus that will be beautiful to show up in the body of Christ. So maybe it's reenacting the forgiveness piece. Maybe it's reenacting kindness. Maybe it's reenacting the patience of Jesus. Maybe it's reenacting his truth or his love. 
But hopefully there's this invitation for us to say, as we see Jesus as the one who has offered himself fully to us, that we get to participate in that with others too. As Romans 12, 18 says, this is the, I think the NIV version, it says, uh, Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. But I want to end tonight just by sharing real quick from Matthew 18. A word of challenge to us. A story that Jesus told. My Bible calls it the parable of the unforgiving servant. Matthew 18, 21. Again, I don't have this up on the screen. I'll read it though. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. 70 times 7. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Anyone know how much 10,000 talents is? I look at the footnote in my Bible. It says that a, a talent was a monetary unit worth 20 years' wages for a laborer. One talent, 20 years of wages, and this person owes 10,000. <laughs> like, that's a lot of money. 10,000 times 20. Okay. So he begins to settle. One went brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. That's crazy. <laughs> to be forgiven 10,000 talents? a lot verse 28 but when that same servant went out he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii anyone know how much that is denarius is you can look, look at the footnote in my bible denarius, denarius was a day's wage so he's forgiven ten thousand talents someone owes him a hundred Denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in, his, in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, Jesus says, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's a story I don't like of Jesus but it highlights again 
how quickly we are to shout for mercy and forgiveness while at the same time being very quick to shake down those who owe us. We all want to be forgiven. It's hard for us to forgive. Are there places of distance in your life that maybe need a person? Are there places of distance in our church that need some help for reconciliation? Are there debts owed that need accounting? May we realize the great forgiveness of God and may that work itself out in our relationships with others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I wish there were a script to follow here to know what all to do, but I trust your Spirit's work in us individually and collectively to know what it is you want to do with this book and with this word tonight. Again, Jesus, we see you all over this, and we are grateful again for your ability to stand in the gap for us and your willingness to pay a debt that we owe, that you would cancel it on the cross. And again, that seems easy for us to cry out and thank and receive, and yet the debts of others we are a lot more likely to hang on to. And we stand in need of your grace and your work and the power of your spirit to face those situations with you. And so we hold them, Lord, to you tonight. Uh, the names and the faces. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's people in our church. Maybe it's those who are no longer part of our church. Maybe it's people in our community. Maybe it's co-workers. Maybe it's in our own nuclear family. Lord Jesus, you've entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. May we see that as an invitation into the fullness of what you have. And we know that it takes time, and it's not easy, and it's not to be rushed. But we want to be in step with you. Help us. We need your help. We need your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.